Well, hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today is a, is a special day. It's, a, it's an exciting day uh, where we get to uh, proclaim again that Jesus is the hero of our church. Um, today, you're going to hear real stories of how Jesus has changed lives of real people. Um, 20, uh, 28 people are being baptized throughout today, which is incredible. Yeah, praise God. Uh, there was 10 people that got baptized uh, at the 9 a.m. gathering, and it was amazing to hear their stories and what Jesus has done. And uh, so let me be clear, though. These aren't 28 people that have their lives together and everything figured out, okay? These aren't 28 people that are, are perfect or, or, or better than anyone else. These are 28 people that are confessing that they need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. Uh, these are 28 people um, that, have, that were broken and lost, and Jesus came, sought them, and saved them by them placing their faith in what Jesus has done for them. And so I hope this morning uh, that these stories impact you and make Jesus bigger in your heart and that you would love him more. Uh, For the past five weeks, we've been going through the book of John, and today we're going to be in John chapter 5. But before we get there, uh, I I, want to ask a question. Um, Have you ever given up on something that you've waited for a really long time to get? Like, has there ever been anything that you've just waited and wanted but lost hope after waiting too long? Well, uh, this may not come as a surprise to some of you, but I'm not very tall, okay? Uh, now, my dad and I are uh, five foot eight on a good day. Please give that to me, okay? Uh, I'm holding on to something. But anyway, and then my mom, she's 5'10", so she's taller. Um, but growing up, I was always kind of one of the shorter guys in school. And, um, and, and so I decided to spike my hair to add like an inch or two. And that worked for a little while until people started calling me out on it. So, um, and then I got, you know, shoes with bigger, you know, uh, soles on them and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm kind of doing it, kind of working around, and I hit a growth spurt in high school, but so did my other friends, so I still remain a shorter guy, okay? So uh, my mom, bless her heart, though, she's like, honey, like, sweetie, everyone in our family grows late. You're just going to grow late. And so I'm like, oh, thanks, mom. Like, so my, my grandma, or my grandpa, he graduated, graduated high school like five, six, and now he's over six foot. So I'm like, Man, like amid all the short jokes, I'm going to hold on to the reality that I'm going to grow in my young 20s, right? Like I just, I'm going to hit that other spurt and I'm going to start dunking, okay? So that was kind of one of my goals. And, uh, and so, hey, I'm not ashamed to admit I may have used a few birthday wishes on a growth spurt, okay? Now, some of y'all are looking at your prayer list like, oh, Lord, please uh, make my grandma feel better, heal her up, God, uh, save my friends. Uh, and I'm praying to get taller. Okay, so that's just the difference maybe between us. But uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my young 20s have passed, and I've came to the grip that I'm not going to get taller, okay? And it's not an easy thing to admit, but I am probably going to be this size and shrinking for the rest of my life. Now, I've grown, or I've, uh, I've, um, uh, grown in my understanding, and now I don't waste my birthday wishes on a growth spurt. I use them on things that matter, like Chipotle gift cards and a good, <laughs> and a good tax return, right? So uh, can I get an amen? But uh, man, I've waited my whole life, and I haven't gotten any taller, and so I'm just like, okay, I've just submitted to the fact that this is going to be my height, and I'm only going to shrink in, uh, from here. But friends, have you had something like that in your life? Have you had something you've waited for and longed for and prayed for and hoped for and didn't get it after a long time and just said, I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to ask for that anymore. Well, this morning in John chapter 5, we're going to see a man that I believe has completely lost hope. And he's given up, but Jesus' words and grace would heal him and give him hope. 
Okay, so that's where we're going to be. So you can open up your Bibles to John 5 if you have them. uh, And we're going to read verses 1 through 5 first. After this, uh, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, point number one, a hopeless situation. Okay, point number one, a hopeless situation. Okay, so Jesus is in Jerusalem, and, uh, and, he ca- and he ends up coming to a pool called Bethesda. There's been different interpretations of what Bethesda means, but the most common translation is that it means a house of mercy or a house of grace. Okay, so this place, Pool of Bethesda, it's a house of mercy or house of grace. Now, in verse 3, it says that in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Uh, when it says these, it's talking about those roofed colonnades, okay? So they have these big columns, and then they have a roof over them, so they would kind of serve as like a porch, basically. Um, now, the roofed colonnades would provide sh- uh, shade and would have been used as a shelter for those that needed them. Well, over time, this became a hangout spot for invalids, for the people that uh, were sick. And so uh, they would come, they would uh, receive shade and probably enjoy a Shirley Temple or a strawberry smoothie. And so this is kind of the place that they hung out. Now, if you're picturing this as like a pool at the Holiday Inn, you're probably not picturing it right, okay? Like people aren't doing double gainers off the diving board, okay? People aren't cannonballing, there's no lifeguard on duty, and there's no sign that says slow down. Like this is just a bunch of, this is not a nice place to be. It would have been rough. And uh, in third world countries today, actually, they have a very similar thing. So uh, for people, like a designated area for people that have a handicap. And so if you couldn't uh, learn a trade or you couldn't farm, you'd be considered a drain on society. So people would just kind of push them into this uh, circle where they hang out with everybody else in the same situation. Uh, be assured that these uh, people uh, weren't interacted with by other people. Like, these, these people aren't getting invited to parties. They're not on the guest list, uh, and nobody's intentionally spending time hanging out with them. We also have to understand that in this time, if someone had an infirm, uh, infirmity, if someone was sick, uh, if someone had an illness, the other people around them believed that that was actually a punishment for their sin. Okay, so if you were sick, they believe that you sinned or your, or your parents sinned and you actually were receiving, God was punishing you by making you sick. Okay, so these people uh, weren't just physically ill, they were also perceived to be spiritually ill. All right, they weren't just social outcasts, they were also spiritual outcasts. Like nobody wanted anything to do with them. And then in verse five, it says, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So it doesn't actually tell us how old he is. The man's age is unknown, but we know that he's been sick for longer than most people had been alive in that day. Uh, that wasn't common for them to live very long. And let's be real, 38 years is probably longer than most of us in the room have been alive, okay? So uh, if you're plus 38, we love that you're here. We love your wisdom, like a good glass of wine. So anyways, uh, <laughs> but man, yeah, he, <laughs> hey, I think that's a compliment. But anyways, uh, uh, so he's laying at the pool like every other day. Uh, he's laying at the pool like every other day waiting for something different to happen. And let's be clear, this man is possibly the most hopeless man in a group of hopeless people. Okay, been there for 38 years. And church, apart from God, his grace, we are this man. 
We have to be extremely clear at that. If you think you're an all-star and you're the CEO of your business, uh, it, it doesn't matter. If you, uh, it doesn't matter if you grew up in church and you, you followed all the rules. Apart from God's grace, we are all spiritually lame. We cannot make our way to God. We can try and we can muster up all our strength, um, but we cannot save ourselves. We have to be extremely clear on that point. We are hopeless without God. And so this man's situation is actually a great illustration of where we were before Jesus encountered us or where we are today before Jesus encounters us if you haven't placed your faith in him. So we can do nothing to attract him, nothing to get his attention, nothing to earn his love. Some of you are all like, I shouldn't have came today. I don't like this message already. No, this is bad news, right? That's bad. You're like, he's calling me the lame man. It's been 38 years. Well, it's going to get better, but track with me on that. So um, in, in spite of all of that, let's see how Jesus responds to us in our hopeless state. Look at verses six through nine. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Okay. Point number two. Uh, point number one was a hopeless situation. Point number two, a hopeful conversation. Okay, hopeful conversation. Now, back in verse 1, it said that there was a feast of the Jews. Okay, so there was a feast going on for the Jews. And, and in this feast, uh, during this time, all the Jews are coming together and celebrating. These are all the people that have value and status and, um, and reasons to celebrate. They're all joined together. But we see in verse 6 that Jesus isn't at the feast of the Jews. He's at a pool party for the broken spiritual outsiders right? It's just crazy to think through where he's spending his time. And so verse 6 says uh, that Jesus saw this man, and he had known that he'd been there for a long time, and then Jesus starts a conversation with him. But before we get into what he said, what Jesus says to him, we've got to ask the question, what, what drew Jesus to this man, right? Like, out of all the people there, what, what attracted Jesus? What, 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 what about this man caught Jesus's attention, right? Why did he pick him out? Well, in Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus is eating with these Pharisees and tax collectors and known sinners, and people are questioning it, like, man, what, what are you doing spending your time with them? And Jesus's response is in Mark 2, verse 17. He says, it'll be up on the screen, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. See, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus's mission clearly stated is to heal the sick and save the lost, that's what he's doing. But here's where I think we've went wrong. Here's where I think we've got it wrong. Uh, many of us in the room are guilty of thinking that God wants to spend time with us when we clean ourselves up, right? When we get our stuff figured out, uh, when we get better, right? Like we slip into thinking that God wants to hang out around people that have it figured out that don't need his help. We think that Jesus wants to spend time around people that help themselves and don't need handouts rather than people that can work for their own life and make their way on their own. But this is the opposite of his mission. He says, I'm coming for the sick, for the broken, for the ones who can't walk or talk or fend for themselves. I'm coming to seek and save the lost. And John 5 shows us this reality. Jesus is entering into a conversation, into a relationship with arguably the most hopeless man in a group of hopeless people. And then at the end of verse 6, Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? 
this seems like the most absurd question, right? Like, what do you... What do you mean how do you want to be healed? I've been saved for 38 years. Jesus, bro, I want to get well. Like my cousin Joey, he started a churro shop down the street. I love churros, okay? They got 50 cent churros on Tuesdays. I want to go over and walk and get a churro, but I can't right now because my legs. Like, you know what I mean? Like that would be the appropriate response. But no, he doesn't say that. And so anyways, uh, man, it should be a no brainer, right? Do I want to get well? Yeah, I really, I want to get well. But Jesus asks it anyway. And so in verse seven, let's see this man's response. Verse seven, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. See, this man's response to Jesus's question revealed both his poor understanding of God and his sense of hopelessness. Okay, his poor understanding of God and his sense of hopelessness. Notice that he doesn't even answer Jesus' question. He doesn't say yes, that he wants to be healed, or no, that he doesn't want to be healed. Um, Instead of answering the question, he gives his gloomy testimony and his perception of how God works. So in this time, uh, at the water, if it were to stir up, uh, if it were to stir up, they believed that it was an angel of God that was coming, and the first one in the water would actually be healed. Okay, so everyone's sitting around, they're watching the water, and when it starts to bubble up, you better believe it's like the student section in Nebraska football game when it opens up. Okay, if you've never been there, it goes crazy. You're trying to find your seat, okay, and running through it. My buddy got trampled one time when we were running through, and I'm running, and like there's a herd of people, and I'm looking back, he's like, go, save the seats, you know? I'm like, all right, bro, you know, and so I'm running off. I'm not gonna pick him up, you know, we wouldn't get good seats, and so, but it's like that. It's like a rush. It's a stampede, and so uh, I have to imagine this is what probably looked like, so they start to see the thing coming up, and they don't have any loyalty to one another. They're saying, I'm gonna try and get in and get my legs right, okay? So they're walking through, It was a race to get to the water first because everyone believed that the first one would be healed. But in in response to Jesus' question, this man answers with an excuse, right? He says, Jesus, man, no one will put me in the water. And if I get close, someone jumps in before me. And as I'm reading this, I'm wondering, man, why didn't you just ask Jesus for help? Like, why didn't you just ask Jesus to put you in the water, right? He just gives an excuse, no one's put me in. But my assumption is that over 38 years, he's asked an immeasurable amount of people, and the unanimous answer is no. I can't help you. This man is hopeless and doesn't even consider that Jesus might actually take him to the water or help out. Now, I want us to see this man's poor view of God's grace. Okay, grace meaning God's love, his unmerited favor, undeserved care. Now, over a long uh, period of time, Uh, of living with this problem, this man has become convinced that God operates out of a first come, first served, right? That's how he's thinking. He's saying, no, Jesus, I want to get well, but I can't get there first. And God only heals the people that get there first, right? That's how he's operating. And how many of us have fallen into that way of thinking, honestly? Like I just said two weeks ago that the idea that God helps those who help themselves is completely unbiblical and untrue. Okay, this man believed that God helps those who help themselves, right? And look where it got him. Hopeless, sick, and exhausted. See, John 5 shows us that God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. He helps those who, who, who can't make their way to him. Jesus comes to heal the sick, not the healthy. He comes to save the broken, not to put, not to put together. He comes to seek the lost, not the found, because the reality is that all of us 
are sick and broken and lost without the grace of Jesus. Amen? We've got to understand that. Now, this man undoubtedly felt abandoned because of his helpless condition and lack of support from others. If nobody helped him in 38 years, why would this interaction be any different? He had been in that sad condition for so long that his will was as paralyzed as his body. He gave up. And I'm sure that there are people in the room today that feel the same way. Man, I've tried to get to God. I've tried to do the right thing, and he hasn't helped me. Matter of fact, no one's helped me. So I'm just going to submit to the reality that I'm going to be this way for the rest of my life. And church, I'm not talking about our physical state. I'm talking about our spiritual state. Some of us in the room have just given up. Man, I, I tried the church thing. I tried God. I tried to make my way and heal myself, but I can't do it. And so you know what? I'm done. But look at Jesus' response in verses 8 through 9. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. See, no matter how you look at this miracle, it's an illustration of the grace of God. Okay? It was grace that brought Jesus to the pool of Bethesda. It was grace that had him start this conversation with this hopeful man. I mean, hopeless man. I mean, who would want to mingle in this day with these people? They were socially outcast. They were spiritually outcast. They couldn't offer you anything. It was grace that brought Jesus to him. And in response to this man's poor view of God, Jesus doesn't have a theological debate with him, right? He doesn't start saying, well, here's the fact and here's the fact. He just tells him the very thing that this man has deemed impossible. And it happens. He gets up and takes his bed up and walks away. And City Light, I want want you to know that, that God sees you and he knows you. In your hopeless situation, Jesus is pursuing you. And when Jesus told this man to get up and walk, it wasn't the inspirational speech that made him stand up. It was the power of Jesus. And in the same way, no message we ever give will ever be about self-help and how to, make, how to be a better you. And here's seven ways to make a better life. No, it's going to be about the power of Jesus saving broken sinners and changing broken sinners. It's his power. Not our speech, not our inspiration. It's Jesus' power that saves people and heals people. Man, if this story teaches us anything, it's that we can't do this life on our own. We need the grace of Jesus. Now, we don't know if this man was saved, but I do know that this was a physical metaphor of what God would do in us spiritually, right? This is a, it's a metaphor to say what God could do in us spiritually. And so if you're in the room and you think that you're the worst person, Jesus is pursuing you. You're not out of reach of God's grace. You haven't sinned too much that he wouldn't run towards you. This man is a picture of Jesus going to the worst to show us that his grace can reach to the bottom. And if you think you're really good and you don't need Jesus, his grace can also reach to the top. Jesus is telling you, get up. Take up your bed and walk. Do the impossible. Be healed. Have life. Have peace. Not by your power, but by my power, by my strength. City Light, the greatest healing for us to experience isn't legs that work. It's when someone that's spiritually dead becomes spiritually alive. And that's what we're seeing today. That's what we're celebrating today in baptism. People that were spiritually dead have placed their faith in Jesus and he's made them spiritually alive. Every one of these people are admitting that they were once the helpless man. 
dead in their sin, unable to make their way to God, but simultaneously celebrating that Jesus, the God of the universe, saved them and came after them and died for them. It's a picture to say, Jesus, you did for me what I couldn't do for myself. On the cross, you took the punishment for my sins. You paid the penalty that I deserved. And in return, I got your perfection. I got your righteousness. I got your love. And I can be accepted by God, not because I'm good, but because you were good in my place. Amen? That's what they're showing. And baptism doesn't save anyone. They're not saved when they get dunked in the water. There's nothing special about this water. It's simply an outward expression of the in inward reality that they have died to their old self and been made alive by Jesus. They're new creations because of him. So as they go into the water, it's picturing this death to your old self, being washed of your old self and being raised, and we celebrate that Jesus has made them into new creations. They're a child of God because of what Jesus has done. And be assured that baptism isn't for perfect Christians because Perfect Christians don't exist, right? These are broken people that have been saved by Jesus' grace. They still mess up, but God would still love them. And after I pray, uh, you're going to hear four stories of Jesus changing real lives, and they're incredible. And I am so excited to hear this and for you to hear their stories. And as you listen to these stories, I pray that Jesus would be made famous in your hearts that he would become bigger and more beautiful, that you would see that no matter where you are or who you are, that you are never outside of the reach of God's grace. He is pursuing you. He's offering to give you life. He is healing what you've deemed impossible. City Light, there is a reason to hope, and it's not in yourself. It's in Jesus. If you feel led to place your faith in Jesus this morning, uh, that would be incredible. And there's nothing special you have to do. You don't have to fix yourself up. You can come and simply confess your need to God and receive his grace for you. And so the testimony, the people are going to come up and give their testimonies. And, uh, uh, and then afterwards, we're going to baptize 12 people today uh, during this gathering. And uh, as they are dunked and come up, if y'all don't cheer loud, I'm going to start choke slamming somebody, okay? I don't want to choke slam somebody, but I will, okay? Uh, we better cheer as a family because in baptism, when they place their faith in Jesus, they're not just saying that they're united with Christ. They're also united with his church, okay? They're part of your family, and it's a bigger family in that. So I'm calling you guys into it. Cheer as loud as you can. Let's cheer louder than a Husker game. Let's lose our voices and cheer and clap and have red hands because we're cla clapping and cheering for what Jesus has done. And I pray that at the end of this gathering that you'd walk out of here and not think, man, City Light's Austin or, or, or City Light's awesome or Austin's awesome or Moe's awesome or Isaac's awesome or the building's awesome. I pray that you would say Jesus is awesome, right? He is big. He is famous. He's the hero of this church. And so as you hear these testimonies, know that Jesus has been the great God to save them and move in them. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll hear from our friends.